the world views salvation as doing. Their, their proponents have to do something to be saved. Only Christianity views salvation as done. It was finished by Christ on the cross. You and I can do nothing to save ourselves. Only by faith are we saved through the finished work of Christ. Aren't you glad for that today? I'm glad it is finished and it doesn't depend on me. If you've got your Bible with you today, let's go to Jonah chapter 3. This is our third week in the book of Jonah. One more week we'll be finishing this up. We have made a bit of a transition in our study as we've been going along in this study on drawing near to God. We have realized that there's this tension in our life that is trying to draw us away from God. That as long as we live in this body of the flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we live in this place of tension where we are being pulled, pulled in both directions. And so we're doing a study on people in the Bible who have been drawn away from God. And Jonah is our first case study, and he embodies that internal conflict. He is a good man. He is a godly man. He is a prophet of God, but God asked him to do something that he didn't want to do, and he draws back or draws away from God. And uh, this tells us about what's going on in Jonah's heart and mind, but it also tells us about what's going on in God's heart and mind as God pursues his wayward son. And so if you would, join me as I read Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them for the word that came unto the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again we count it a privilege to gather in your name, in your house, and to be instructed by your word. Lord, we know not how all of this transaction takes place, but by faith we know that you gave your word through holy men of old, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that when your word is preached today, that your Holy Spirit does this unseen work of opening hearts and minds to receive the word, and he, he allows it to work in us to make us more like Jesus. Father, I pray that today that unseen work would have seen evidences of it as we leave this place and go back into our lives may we lord be changed people because of your word help me lord to be your messenger today to say only what you have said no more no less help me to make it clear and not confusing i pray in jesus name amen 
In our study of Jonah, we are looking at how a godly person can be drawn away from God instead of drawing near. This hits home for every believer because no matter how well-intentioned we are, we can look back over the landscape of our Christian life and acknowledge that there have been times when we have been nearer to God and times when we've been further away from God. Unfortunately, that is the course of the Christian life for all of us. It doesn't mean that we lose our salvation and get our salvation back, but just like a relationship with a wife or with a child, with a husband, that relationship may be in place, but the nearness can vary depending upon what each person is contributing. Jonah was a prophet used of God in Israel, but when God asked him to go to Nineveh, Jonah had an internal conflict that caused him to withdraw from God. You see, Jonah was willing to do a lot of things for God. Jonah had stood up in his own homeland and he had prophesied and proclaimed for God. He had even spoken against evil as there was a king, Jeroboam II, in his land who wasn't walking the ways of God. And he had no problem doing that. But when God asked him to go to Nineveh, something inside of Jonah began to stir and a conflict was created because Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was Israel's most fierce enemy at this time. I mean, this was not just an enemy in theory. This was not a cold war like I grew up with as a kid when the Russians were the bad guys in every movie but never actually did anything to us on a local level. These Assyrians had actually invaded Israel. They had actually conquered cities. They had actually taken people captive. They have shed Israelite blood. And so think about the conflict that Jonah is having. Not only is he dealing with his own emotions uh, that he doesn't want to go do anything for them, no doubt he is also feeling the pressure of what his fellow citizens would think if he goes to the Ninevites and preaches to them and God shows them some sort of grace or mercy. He's not going to be very popular back at home, I don't imagine. It wasn't that Jonah didn't love God. It was that Jonah didn't love the Ninevites. How about that? Oh, that's the problem for a lot of us, isn't it? It's not that we don't love God. It's all these other people I have a problem with. God wants me to do something for them. He wants me to love them and be nice to them and give them grace and forgiveness and all this stuff. And I just can't bring myself to do that. You understand, Jonah is in a true internal conflict. So he attempted to run as far away as possible. Hey, what's my solution? Instead of going to Nineveh, I'm going to get as far away from Nineveh as possible so God can't even ask me to go there. But sadly, in running away from Nineveh, Jonah finds himself running away from God. You see, that call to Nineveh was a call to meet God in Nineveh. And when Jonah decided he wasn't going to make that appointment, Jonah is actually trying to run away from God. Although Jonah was indifferent to his distance from God, as we find him sleeping in the ship, God is not indifferent to Jonah's distance from him. God, in his grace, began pursuing Jonah, making uh, his rebellion difficult in order to bring Jonah to repentance. And that's what God does in his grace, like a loving 
parent, when his children are in rebellion, he makes the way difficult. He allows them to feel the weight, the repercussions of their poor decisions. And as a life narrows and brings them down into that constricted place, it is meant to do that so that they look up and turn back and go the way of God. And so God sends an incredible storm to the Mediterranean Sea to halt the journey of that ship. Again, it's an act of God's grace. While we see the fierceness of God's power as that storm descends on that ship and those sailors do everything that they know to do. I mean, this ship was going to Tarshish. There was a special type of ship that was built. They were called the ships of Tarshish. Tarshish was a long journey. They were built to withstand. The men who would have been traveling on that ship would have made that journey before. And so they are doing everything in their knowledge and their power to try and navigate through this storm. But God, in His grace, will not allow that to happen because he's not going to let Jonah go any further and then as you know God sent a great fish to swallow Jonah when Jonah was thrown overboard and again I point to the grace and mercy of God that's not the wrath of God that's not the damnation of God the damnation of God would be to let Jonah sink to the bottom of the sea to die and never have an opportunity to repent but in grace God sends the fish that swallows him up that sustains his life although it is a wretched three days and three nights it is a living three days and three nights and by the way how else is Jonah going to get back to shore if God does doesn't send a submarine to transport him there. And so last week we learned the purpose of the great fish was not Jonah's destruction, but Jonah's correction. God is going to bring him back. And after three days and three nights, Jonah changed his perspective, repented, and uh, the whale regurgitated Jonah back on the dry Land. And so the Bible is very plain about that. It doesn't paint a very, very uh, pretty picture. Uh, it vomits him out, the contents of his stomach. If it was indeed a whale, it's a, a ruminoid, I think it is, like a cow that has chambers in its stomach, and one of them crushes, and then the other one has acid in it and all of that stuff. And so whatever this process was, the whale was sick of Jonah, and Jonah was sick of the whale, and they parted ways at the end of chapter 2. Now, chapter 3 demonstrates for us that God is the God of second chances. The Word of God came to Jonah a second time. If you don't have that underlined or highlighted in your Bible, you ought to do that. The Word of God came to Jonah a second time, it says in verse 1. And Jonah gets a do-over. He gets a do-over to go to Nineveh. And I tell you, this is a wonderful truth for which I am so thankful. Where would we be if it were not for second chances? And we serve a God who is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And as I look back over my life, I know that God's given me many second chances. And I'm so grateful for that. However... I find a connected thread running through all of this chapter that I, I, I want to focus on today. And it is not the second chance, the thread, the connective tissue that I find running from verse 1 to verse 10 is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. We find it there in verse 1, the Word of the Lord came unto Jonah. 
That word is recorded for us in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Preach unto it. Preach what? Preach the word of God, the preaching that I bid thee. Jonah obeys the word in verse 3. So Jonah arose and went into the Ninevites according to the word of the Lord. Jonah enters into the city. And what does he preach? He preaches the word of the Lord. And the Ninevites hear. What do they hear? The word of the Lord. And the Ninevites repent because they hear the word of the Lord. And so everything in this chapter has the Word of God central to it. It is the reason that Jonah goes to Nineveh. Why did he go to Nineveh the second time? The Word of the Lord. It is the reason why the Ninevites repent and turn to God. Why did they do that? Because of the Word of God. Furthermore, it indicates that one's relationship to God is connected to one's relationship to the Word. So think about this with me for a moment. Your relationship to God is connected to your relationship to His Word. You cannot separate these two. You cannot divorce these two. For instance, when Jonah disobeyed God's Word and ran away from God, uh, we find that Jonah is disobeying and, and he's running from the Word of God. He wasn't running from God before that, but when the Word of God came, he disobeyed and he ran away. But when Jonah obeys God's Word, he runs toward God. And so this relationship with God is connected to a relationship with His Word. Not only is this true of Jonah, but it's also true of the Ninevites. When they were ignorant of God's word, they were living a life of sin. They were living a life that was repulsive to God. They were far from God. In fact, they are near to his judgment. That's the message. God's going to overthrow this city. In 40 days, his judgment is coming. So they've gotten so far from God that they're getting near to his judgment. But when they were informed of God's word... They then drew near to God and far from his judgment. In fact, this judgment that was going to come in 40 days, you'll find doesn't come for about another 150 years in the sequel of Nahum. It is also about Nineveh, and Nineveh repents here in Jonah, and God stays his judgment, but it does eventually come because they turn to their old ways. I would say this, Without the Word of God, it is impossible to draw near to God. Without the Word of God, it is impossible to draw near to God. And so, I would like to share with you five ways in which God's Word draws us near. Number one, the Word of God communicates. We find this in verses 1 and 2. The purpose of God's Word is to communicate with mankind. That is what God is doing. His Word comes to Jonah because he has a Word to communicate. He has information to pass on. He has something to say. How else is he going to get it to them if it doesn't come in a Word form that these human beings can understand? Do you realize God is not hiding from us? There is this mentality in the world that we've got to try and figure out God and we look under the rocks and we look under the scrolls and we look here and there and we try to read behind the words and say, what is God really saying? Who is God? And I'm telling you, God's not playing cosmic hide and seek with you and I. God has revealed himself to us. He's not hiding himself from us and he has revealed himself to us through his word. He hasn't revealed himself in vision. We don't see God with our eyes. 
As a matter of fact, he told Moses nobody could look on him and live. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And so how has God revealed himself if he hasn't revealed himself visibly to you and I? He has revealed himself through his word. In fact, remember old Moses, how he had a desire to see God's glory. God, let me see your glory. Just let me see it. I just want to catch a glimpse of it. And God said, Moses, you can't. Look on my face and live. Here's what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand. I will pass by. And when I pass by, I'll let you see my afterglow. But do you know what God did when he passed by Moses? He spoke. The Lord. The Lord God Almighty. And then he goes on to name some of his characteristics. What what is God teaching us? He's teaching us that he reveals himself to us through his word. Even if you cannot see him, you can know him because he has communicated. Look through history and you'll find that, that God speaks He spoke to Adam when he came looking for him in the garden. He spoke to Noah when he warned him of the judgment and gave him instruction on how to build the ark. He spoke to Abraham when he chose him to make a covenant with him and a nation of him. He spoke to Abraham's son Isaac and to Jacob. He speaks to Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments and the Decalogue and the Torah to be written down. He speaks to young Samuel, Lord, your servant hears, uh, speak to me, I will listen And he speaks to Isaiah as Isaiah records prophecy that was fulfilled at the first coming of Christ and some will be fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. And we find him speaking to Jonah. It is there God speaks and it is well documented throughout the Bible. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 gives us the broad scope of God's communication As you think about that and you say this is a big concept and and God's spoken to a lot of people down through the ages. Some 40 human penmen were involved in in writing down God's message. Hebrews just kind of zooms out and says, let me give you the big picture on this. It says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past. How did he speak? He spake unto the fathers by the prophets. But now, in these last days, has spoken unto us by His Son. And so God communicates through His Word. The Word of God is how God communicated His will to Jonah, and it's how He communicates His will to you and I. The words of God were written down by His prophets and by His apostles. And that is how we got the Bible today. In time past, He was speaking in an audible voice or in a still small voice. And He was speaking to those holy men of old. But then He commanded them to write these words down. And He has preserved them for us today. This is the Word of God. You and I don't need to go on the backside of a desert. We don't need a burning bush experience We don't need to be in the belly of the well. All we have to do is open up the Bible. We have the Word of God, and the Word of God is God's communication to us. It is essential in drawing near to God. As I'll teach the teens tonight from Acts 17, ignorant worship is not acceptable worship. And so again, I say, how are you going to draw near to God without the Word of God? Well, I just love Him. And I love His creation, and His creation tells me about His creativity and and about His sovereignty and about His greatness. Yes, it does, but it doesn't tell you the full story. 
And if you are going to attempt to worship God without the Word of God, you're going to have ignorant worship. And Paul, when he walked into the city of Athens, he was disturbed because he saw that they had a statute, a tribute, a memorial to every god that you could imagine, every Greek mythological god. And they were so superstitious, it says, in case we missed any, here's one to the unknown god. And he says, the god whom you worship ignorantly, I will declare him to you. And you know what he does? He gives them the word of God. Jesus said it this way, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth and so the first thing we learn from Jonah chapter 3 is that the word of God communicates but the second we find is that the word of God compels in verse 3 it tells us what effect the word of God had on Jonah the word of God came and said arise and go to Nineveh and verse 3 says Jonah arose and went to Nineveh God's Word is not just trivia. God's Word is not just facts. God's Word is not just general information. God's Word is instruction. It is do this, don't do that, turn here, don't turn there, go this direction, don't go that direction. It compels to action. The Word of God is not just for your general knowledge. It is for your behavior. It is for your action. It is for your response. Jonah was compelled by the Word of God. What motivated him to get up and go? How did he know to go to Nineveh? Because God's Word compelled him to go. Jonah, I'm not calling you to go to Samaria. I'm not calling you to go to Galilee. I'm not calling you to go to Jerusalem. I'm telling you, go to Nineveh. And so the Word of God compels. Just think about how the Word of God compels us. If you're you're wrestling with that a little bit, do you remember the language of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false. Do you understand? That's compelling language. That's not just saying lying is bad. Idolatry is bad. It is saying that we are to do something based upon this word. Just think your way through the Bible. Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 4 and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is he saying? He's saying, Stop! Don't go any further. Turn around because the kingdom of God is coming. I am compelling you to take an action. How about this? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He is compelling us. Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Again, it is compelling the hearer to do something. Of course, how could we miss the great commission that Jesus repeated five times? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm telling you, God's word was designed to compel us. And so when you pick up your Bible and you read it, the first thing you need to know is that God's speaking to me. This is God's word for me. And so I've got God's voice in his word. God is speaking. He is communicating. 
What is he communicating? Well, he is communicating to me a compelling message. When I read the Bible, I understand that God is not just educating me. God is instructing me. God is directing me. God is compelling me. I ought to do something because of what God said. As we move on in Jonah chapter 3, we, we, we transition from seeing how the Word of God is working in the life of Jonah to see how that Word also works in the life of the Ninevites. That is helpful because it helps us realize this was not just for Jonah. It's not just a one-off because Jonah is the prophet of God. It also helps us because it is not just for the Jew. We know that Jonah is a Jew, but the Ninevites are Gentiles. So even though God began with the Jews and the gospel goes to the Jew first, it is also to the Greek. It is also to the Gentile. And so in this chapter, as it transitions from Jonah to the Ninevites, and the word of God then communicates to them and compels them, and they have a reaction to it, it tells us that we too are the recipients of God's word and that God's word should have a desired effect in our life. What do we see the word doing in the lives of the Ninevites? Well, number three, the word of God confronts. The word of God confronts. Now, if you don't know this about Jonah, he's still not happy. And we're going to see that next week when we dig into chapter four. He's compliant, but he is not happy about it. So here's a dude who's not rolling into town like Joe Olstein with a big smile and a mullet on his face and saying, God has a plan for your life, and I'm here to tell you about it. No, he's rolling in with a soured look on his face, uh, whale vomit probably dried and crusted in his ear, And he is not there to tell them how good they are doing. He is there to tell them that they are on the verge of God's judgment. It is a confrontational situation. Jonah's message to the Ninevites was not an affirmation. It was a confrontation. As Jonah comes into that city, just to give you a little bit of background there, it says that it was a great city. Many times, every time Nineveh is referred to, it's a great city, it's a great city, it's great. It means that it is, is really a large city. It's the capital city of Assyria. It's on the Tigris River. It's across from the modern-day city of Mosul. And so it, it is very large. And when it says it's a city of three days' journey, it doesn't mean it was three days from the coast where Jonah was at to get to it. It was further than that. It means that it, it would take somebody three days to to walk through that city, through all of its burbs and bergs. And so Jonah walks a day's journey into the city. He gets into the heart near to where the palace would be, through all those outer suburbs and into the center of city life. And he, he obediently lifts up his voice and he proclaims what God has said. And notice how confrontational this message is in verse 4. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, now, that's the summation of the message. No doubt there were a few more details that were given, but that really sums up the tone and the content of it. You're going down. You done ticked God off, and God's had enough of you, and His judgment is coming. Do you realize that the basic 
premise of humanity is that we have sinned against a holy God? I mean, from the first generation, Adam and Eve sinned. And in doing so, they passed on a sin nature to every subsequent human being who has ever been born so that none of us have been born right with God. We are all sinners. And so, when you think about God's Word communicating to us, yes, it does communicate that God is loving and that God is love and that God is gracious and grace-giving and merciful and forgiving. But you have to realize that God's Word is going to confront you and I because we are sinners. And God has to judge sinners. And unless sinners repent, God cannot welcome them into His good graces and into His presence. And so God's Word must confront us. It's not always what we want to hear, but it is what we need to hear. I've known some people who've got offended at God because God's Word said something that they did not want to hear. So if you read the Bible or listen to preaching, don't be surprised if it confronts you. Don't be surprised if you're reading something and all of a sudden, man, it really starts meddling in your business. And kind of getting on to you about how you've been acting and the things that you've been doing. When Paul gives Timothy his charge, he says, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. When it's popular, when it's not popular. When it's fun for you, Timothy, and when it's not fun for you, Timothy. When it's enjoyable for your hearers and when it's not enjoyable for your hearers. You've got one job, boy. Preach the word. Then he goes on and modifies it. And he says, reprove rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering. I had a homiletics professor that said, hey, boys, two-thirds of preaching is reproving and rebuking. Now, there is a way that you can do that. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. But if you're not familiar with those words, those are confrontational words. To reprove means to shine the light and to prove that something is wrong. To rebuke is to call it out in public. This is wrong. Exhort is to encourage and to build up and to help get it right. But listen, part of the ministry of the Word of God, part of the ministry of preaching, part of the ministry of teaching is that it confronts us where we are in our lives. And so the Word of God confronted the Ninevites. You are sinners. You have lived ignorantly of God for all of these years. You have violated his laws, whether you knew them or not. And God is about to judge you. But then that brings us to the fourth work of the word of God. And that is the word of God convicts. The word of God convicts. In verses 5 through 9, it begins this way. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. And so they begin to have a conviction enter into their lives. Something internal happens to the Ninevites when they are confronted by the Word of God, this Word that is confrontational, that is calling out something in their life that they've been living with for all of these years. Perhaps it was passed on from generation to generation, and they thought, this is an okay way to live. And all of a sudden, God's Word comes and says, this is not right. And something happens inside. It's called conviction. I, I, 
It's not always easy to explain, but there's some pictures of it in the Bible. It's what happened to Peter when the rooster crowed. Do you remember that? Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Not me, Lord. I'll go to the death. If everybody forsakes you, I'll stay right here with you. And when the soldiers come, where do we find Peter? Following afar off. His distance Falling far off, and then he's outside in the court with all of those unbelievers. And, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, I think I saw you with one of them, and you're from up there in, in Galileo. No, I, I'm not one of them. Don't, don't accuse me of that. And the third time it comes at him, man, he really convinces them with cussing and swearing and, you know, disavows himself. And then all of a sudden, the sun begins to come up. The rooster begins to crow, and something pricks Peter in his heart, and he begins to weep bitterly. It is the conviction of the Word of God. It is described when Paul is on the road to Damascus, and he is, he is set on persecuting those who follow Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus peels back the curtains of heaven and shines the light in his eyes and allows him to realize that he is the Messiah, and Paul falls to his knees in conviction and repentance, and, and Jesus says this to them, it's hard to kick against the pricks. And he uses this, this, this animal uh, husbandry, or not husbandry, uh, get that out of your head. Uh, he, he uses this animal analogy that when the ox would be in the yoke, that they, if they had a problem, they were trying to kick the plow off of them, that they would sharpen sticks and put it so that if that animal kicked back, it would poke them and teach them not to, not to kick. And that's the language that Jesus is using when he describes what's happening to Paul. Paul's pushing back, but as he pushes back, something is pricking him that he can't See, it's described as pricking by some. It's described as squeezing by others. For some, it's an unshakable thought that you can't get out of your head, that, that God just, just, just keeps on you like a weight until you do something about it. But I'm telling you, that is part of what the Word of God is supposed to do. It is what it does when you and I receive it. It will convict us. But the fifth and final ministry of the Word that we find here in this chapter is that the Word of God corrects. The Word of God corrects. Notice this. This is interesting. Well, verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that He had said that He would do unto them. And He did it not. Sometimes people get a little confused when it says in the Bible that God repented. Be sure to know God doesn't repent the way that humans repent. He doesn't need to repent the way that humans repent. When you and I are repenting, remember to repent means to reconsider it. To come to a different conclusion would lead you to a different action. And so Jonah thought Tarshish is where he should go. God confronts him. God convicts him. Jonah repents. Tarshish is not where I need to go. He reconsiders the matter. He changes his mind. He changes his direction. He goes back towards God. God never has to repent of sin because God doesn't sin. So what does it mean when it says God repented? 
It means that God had this course of action that he was going to deal with the Ninevites because they were in unrepentant sin. They were traveling away from him. But when they changed their direction or their behavior, then God now can deal with them as repentant sinners in grace and not in the judgment of the law. And so what we find is that the Word of God corrects us like it did the Ninevites. They were going the wrong way. The Word of God stands in the path and confronts them, and they're convicted, and they change, and they say, you know what, we've got to stop going this way and doing these things. We're, we're going to go God's way. And when God sees that the works, the manifestation of their repentance is actually showing up in their lives, He says, you know what, I don't have to judge them now because they self-judged now I can give them grace because they are walking in alignment with me. You know what I love about the Word of God? Is that the Word of God doesn't just cut you and kill you like a butcher. It cuts you to heal you like a surgeon. Right? Both involve cutting. Both involve injury. One leads to death, the other leads to health. And that's how God's Word works in our lives. It doesn't just beat us up, throw us down, and leave us there in a bloody heap of sin and failure and self-loathing. But it says, hey, look, this is the way, walk in it. You've gotten off the path, you've gotten your clothes all muddy and dirty, you're cut up and you're bruised up, but, but here, come with me. I'll clean you up, I'll wash you, I'll heal you, and I will put you on the right path. That's what the Word of God does for us. Think about that great passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished to all good works. The Word of God will correct us if we allow it. And that's why you hear preachers like me get up and say, hey, read your Bible. Make a habit of reading your Bible every single day. Find a Bible reading calendar and read some of the Scripture every single day. If you don't like the one we put out, find you another one. But get into the Bible and read the Bible every day. Why? Because the Bible is God's communication to you. The Bible will compel you to go God's way. The Bible will confront you when you're going the wrong way. The Bible will convict you about things that you're mistaken about. And the Bible will correct you so that it brings you back in line with God and draws you closer to Him. We need the word just like Jonah needed the word and the Ninevites needed the word would you bow with me as we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment we must stand in awe of the word of God the plan that God had in ages past to communicate to human beings how could a being so high communicate with people so low? And the answer is in the Word of God. The Word of God is not just here to placate us. It is not just here to pacify us. But it is here to convict us, to confront us, to correct us, to bring us near to Him. And so let me ask you today, let me just be real, real, real practical 
What's your relationship like with the Word? Do you read it very often? Is it a priority to you to be in a Bible preaching, Bible teaching church, to show up when the Word is being taught? Or have you devalued the Word to the point where it just doesn't play a major role in your life? Friends, I'm telling you, based on the authority of Scripture, your relationship with the Word is connected to your relationship to God. And if you want to draw near to God, then you've got to get in the Word, and you've got to let the Word get into you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray and ask that you would just increase that hunger within us for your word as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby may we like an infant who may not know anything else but we know when we're hungry that there is a food source that we want God help us to recognize that hunger for the word and help us Lord to satisfy it through reading and study and teaching and preaching Lord, I'm so thankful for the ministry of your word and the ministry that it's performed in my life and the way that you demonstrated here in the life of Jonah. Father, I pray that every believer, especially in this day and age, Lord, would just uh, come closer to you through your word and experience the transformative power of your truth. Lord, I know that it requires some discipline some days, but oh, what a benefit it is. May your Holy Spirit convict us and compel us to draw closer to you through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.